gives us um, a unique perspective on Jesus. You know, Matthew starts off with a genealogy, and so we know Jesus is the promised Messiah, and the various Gospels give us different pictures of Jesus as, as a man and as a servant. And John lets, gives us a perspective that Jesus is God. And it's a good, there are various perspectives on Jesus, and they can, multiple ones can be true at the same time. So as we're going to start in the book of Job today, we want to get some perspective on God. And uh, let's start with prayer. Let's go to him and ask him to show himself to us. Lord, today is the end of this year, our last Sunday of the year. We ask you to reveal yourself to us in a special way today. That we can end the year well knowing you and begin the year well getting to know you more. So we ask this in your name. Amen. On your bulletin, there's a picture on the front cover. This picture is called Relativity. And it's got a lot of different staircases going different directions. Which way is up depends on how you look at it. If you look at the little characters walking in there, there's several different ups. It all depends on one's perspective in there. And so all those characters walking up and down those stairs, they are seen up in a different way. Perspective is important. I brought my camera this morning. I'm pretty good at taking pictures with this camera. And it's not just because I can put everything in automatic. I'm actually, I actually take better pictures when I take it off of automatic and do things myself. But getting this camera made a big difference for me uh, because of how it focuses. See, this camera, when I focus it, and I'm looking through the eye finder, it's just like you might think, when I turn it one way, it's blurry, and as I turn it the other way, when it's in focus, everything is clear. That's how this focus works. But growing up, my dad had a camera, same brand, but different era, that just worked differently. And its focus system was actually more precise than this one, but it was very difficult to use. When you looked through the eyepiece, everything was always clear, even if you were out of focus. But right in the middle, there was a circle, a little like bullseye target. And in there, it wasn't in focus. This bullseye target was split in half, two circles split in half. And if you looked right in there, you could see the picture there, and how you focused it, the image would shift up and down. And how you got it in focus is you got the image to actually line up and be aligned like it's supposed to be. It's very difficult to focus that way, especially for me because I wear glasses. So I'm trying to look through my glasses, through this eyepiece, into this center thing to try and align this image. And that was just super hard. I didn't have good perspective on what I was looking at because I didn't have good perspective in the camera. I couldn't see the device, so I couldn't see what I was, so all my pictures would usually turn out blurry. In the book of Job, we have several perspectives on God. Just like in today's culture, we have different, people have different perspectives on God's, on God. And usually when we go to the book of Job, if you've ever had a Sunday school lesson or a sermon on that, um, we, we say Job is about suffering. But 
if you get to the end of the book of Job, Job doesn't say, boy, I really learned a lot about suffering and why people have to go through it. He doesn't say that at all. Now, we can certainly learn about suffering through Job. But when he gets to the end, he says, what I really understand now is God. His, his ordeals learned, brought him to truth about God. And so his perspective on God changed his perspective on his suffering. You know, for some of us, Christmas is a happy time or it's a mixed time. Some people might be mourning the loss of a loved one. Sometimes couples are wishing they could have a family. Sometimes we're working hard to make ends meet so we can give our family a good Christmas. Sometimes at Christmas people are feeling lonely. There are some kids and teens wishing they didn't have to go back and forth between their different parents at Christmas time. It's this time where we're supposed to be close to God and people might be crying out feeling like he's not there. But if I gain a proper perspective on God, maybe I can also get proper perspective on all those other things in my life, good or bad. So we're going to be in Job chapter 1. If you want to turn there, there's Bibles under your seats or you can use your smart device. Job 1. I'm going to start 1 through 8. It says, There was a man in the country of Uz named Job. He was a man of complete integrity who feared God and turned away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. His estate included 7,000 sheep and goats, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large number of servants. Job was the greatest man among all the people of the east. His sons used to take turns having banquets at their homes. They would send an invitation to their three sisters to eat and drink with them. Whenever a round of banqueting was over, Job would send for his children and purify them, rising early in the morning to offer burnt offerings for all of them. For Job thought, perhaps my children have sinned, having cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. One day the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord asked Satan, where have you come from? From roaming through the earth, Satan answered him, and walking around on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity, who fears God and turns away from evil. See, as we get started, even though I watched the game Perspective on God, one way that I saw that we can get perspective on God is, to see what is God's perspective of me. And the first thing we see about Job, happening Job's life, is God can be proud of me. God can be proud of me. Now we rightly call God judge. There are many verses where he's, where God is described being judge. Just one for an example, 1 Peter 4, 5. They will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. But sometimes, I think Christians in particular, and maybe other people too, we only make God the judge of evil. And we neglect that God is also the judge of good. 
So God does both. He judges good and evil. And also, sometimes we put the judgment of God at the end. After I die, or at the end of time when Christ returns, then there will be judgment. But Job pictures God judging good and evil concurrently with the things that are happening. Job is alive doing stuff, and God is judging him right then as he's doing it. It's not at the end of time or at the end of his life, it's during his life. And so Job is presented to us and to God and to Satan. He's presented as a man of complete integrity. Job's a guy you can trust. His word is sure. He does what's right. This is the guy who walks the straight path. Job is presented as a man who fears God. He doesn't just do the right thing because he has a certain code of ethics. He actually knows who the Lord God is, and he follows him and respects him. He turns away from evil. He, he makes sure he doesn't do the wrong thing. He's a very successful businessman. They list many things that he owns, all these sheep and goats and camels and oxen and donkeys and servants. He, he's said to be the greatest man in the East. He has an empire. Very successful. And he's also a father. Is presented as part of his goodness. We know he's a good father because his adult children all get along with each other. They go house to house, having banquets at each other's house, and everybody gets invited. Not just at Christmas time. This is a regular thing that they do. And he's also raising, or has raised his children to also fear God and turn away from evil. Because he wants to make sure they have sacrifices for their sins too. Job is presented as a very good man. That's how God judges him. He's proud of him. But Job's not the only one presented here. The sons of God are presented here. We would call them typically angels. They are also presented, and one of the angels that presents themselves is Satan. And God is not just judging Job here. He judges Satan's actions. He says, where have you been? In other words, what have you been doing? And Satan has been doing nothing good. So I've been roaming here and there. It's either that he's not having done anything, or First Peter 5.8 puts it this way about Satan, the devil. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So maybe Satan is saying, I haven't been doing anything, or maybe Satan's, oh, I've been looking for somebody to trip up, someone to devour. So Satan is presented in a very different way than Job. And so God says, have you seen Job? He's not wasting his life like you are. Have you seen Job? Have you ever seen or used those bumper stickers that say proud parent of an honor roll student? I never put one of those on my car, at least not yet, even though my girl, my oldest daughter does well. But I saw this one on a, online. It says proud parent of an honor student. Well, at least until their mental health deteriorated due to the pressure I put on them. 
Now all they do is smoke weed and watch YouTube videos on conspiracy theories. Now the proud pride went away. You know, God is proud of Job, but if you've read Job before, you know the pressure is coming. And you know, God can also be proud of me. God can be proud of the church I'm a part of. God, just as God shows pride in Job. So then God's not pictured in heaven like Santa Claus at the North Pole with a naughty list and a nice list and he's keeping track. There's no scale of my bad deeds versus my good deeds. See, my bad deeds are forgiven by the sacrifice of Jesus. Just as Job's sins were being taken care of by the sacrifices he was making that was looking forward to Jesus. So the bad deeds don't count if we have the sacrifice of Christ. And God sees my righteousness, my good deeds, as the righteousness of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So God's not sitting there weighing, well, here's, here's Paul's bad stuff, and here's Paul's good stuff, and let's see how he's doing. He sees me in Christ. The bad stuff's forgiven, the righteousness of Christ. So what's God looking at? God's looking at me at my position in Jesus and saying, what are you doing with it? I've given you this status, now what are you doing, Paul? 1 Corinthians 3, 11-15 puts it this way, For no one can lay any foundation other than what has been laid. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has that he has built survives, he will receive reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So the foundation is Jesus Christ. The sins are forgiven, our righteousness in Christ, and then what are you building on that? What am I building on that? That's what God is judging. So how am I living? So God, if God desires to have a perspective of me, that's one of pride. What should my perspective be of God? Do I think of God as a God who punishes me when I do wrong? Or do I think of God as a God who commends me when I do right? It's not that God can't do both. God certainly does. But what's my focus when I look at God? One who's cheering me on, or one who's looking to nail me down. You know, for a lot of us, this might be one of those areas where our own parents or my own parenting influences my view of God. So I need to remember, God's not my dad, and God's not me. God made a sacrifice for me through Jesus, that no human parent could even attempt because God values me. 
So that's the setup. God is proud of Job. God is proud of me. And so what happens? Job 1, starting verse 9. Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Haven't you placed a hedge around him, his household, and everything he owns? You've blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he owns, and he will surely curse you to your face. Very well, the Lord told Satan, everything he owns is in your power. However, do not lay a hand on Job himself. So Satan left the Lord's presence. One day when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and replied, While the oxen were plowing and the donkeys grazing nearby, the Sabaeans swooped down and took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. He was still speaking when another messenger came and reported, God's fire fell from heaven, it burned the sheep and the servants and devoured them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. That messenger was still speaking when yet another came and reported, The Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. He was still speaking when another messenger came and reported, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on the young people so that they died, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job stood up, tore his robe, shaved his head. He fell to the ground and worshipped, saying, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Throughout all this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. God can be proud of me. And God can protect me. Excuse me, God can perfect me. We'll get to protection later. God can perfect me. So we've got characters here. Satan, of course, says, God, of course Job loves you. Look how rich you made him. And God's basic reply is, he's still my man even if he had nothing. Take all his stuff and see. And so Job's has these losses. He loses his oxen and donkeys and servants to the Sabaeans. He loses his sheep and his servants because of fire from heaven, lightning. He loses his camels and his servants to the Chaldeans. He loses his sons and his daughters to a windstorm and a house collapse. He loses all his stuff, including his family. And his response he absolutely mourns his losses. He goes into grief. He tears his clothes. But he also worships God still. And he realizes his humanity. He says, I didn't have anything when I was born. I can't take anything with me anyway. I'm still sad, but that's just part of being human. Can't take it with you. And he does not sin. He was a man of integrity to start with, and now he's being perfected as a man of integrity. Because he was a man of integrity with a lot. Now can he still be a man of integrity with nothing? Yes. There's a cool couple of videos on YouTube. It's uh, gym, gymnastics and parkour experts. Parkour are, are the, the guys who and ladies who jump around on like 
uh, off of buildings and staircases and stuff in the city, ur- urban gymnastics. And uh, these two videos is one section are the gymnasts, and they teach parkour experts how to do gymnastics moves. And then they flip the tables, and the parkour people teach the, teach the gymnasts how to do their moves. And it's very interesting to watch because both these groups of people are experts in what they do, but when they try to do the other person's stuff, even though it's very similar, they actually have to figure it out. Now, their, what they knew from before, the skills that they bring from either gymnastics or parkour helps them, but they they become better at what they do because they learn something different. I think that's what God is doing to Job. He's an expert in gymnastics. Now he says, let me throw a little parkour in there. See how you do. See, even though we can get to a place where we are mature and know some stuff, it doesn't mean we know everything. I joke around sometimes because I have a bachelor's degree in humanities and a master's degree in divinity. So I should know everything about being human and everything about God, right? Not even close. You know, Job is described as complete, and yet he still has more to learn about himself and about God. The thing is, just because I may be good and God may very well be proud of me, doesn't mean I can't be better. Just because our church may be good and God may be proud of us, doesn't mean we can't be better. And certainly, if I'm not good in some area, God wants me to get better as well. Second Peter three seventeen and 18. 18 is the most important verse here, but I'll read the context here. Therefore, dear friends, since you know this in advance, be on your guard, so that you are not led away by the error of lawless people and fall from your own stable position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Peter's saying to these people, says, you're already stable. You're in a good spot. But you can still grow. So God's not just potentially proud of me. God is also coaching me to be the best I can possibly be. Why? Because he values me. So let's finish up with Job and his test. We're now in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. One day the sons of God came again to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord asked Satan, Where have you come from? From roaming through the earth, Satan answered him, and walking around on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. He still retains his integrity even though you incited me against him to destroy him for no good reason. Skin for skin, Satan answered the Lord. A man will give up everything he owns in exchange for his life. But stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. Very well, the Lord told Satan. He's in your power. Only spare his life. 
So Satan left the Lord's presence and inflicted Job with terrible boils from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery to scrape himself while he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. We're going to get back to that later. She actually doesn't say that. As you speak, you know, let's see. As you speak as a foolish woman speaks, he told her, we, should we only accept, should we accept only good from God and not adversity? Throughout all this, Job did not sin in what he said. So last thing, because God values me, God can protect me. Again, we have the scene, the sons of God are presented and God calls out Satan's actions. Where have you been? What have you been doing? Satan's, I've just been roaming the earth. Nothing has changed at all in Satan. Even though Job has changed. His life has changed and his, his integrity has been shown proven. God protected Job in the first sets of tests. It was a test of his possessions and his family, but Job himself was protected by God so that he wasn't afflicted. And then the second set of tests, God again protects Job because now Job himself is going to be attacked. He says, you can't kill him. He's still protected. This test on his body. So Job gets sick with boils. I didn't quite get this. I, I've never had boils all over my body. Something strange happened. When, when I first got married to Jennifer, um, within about a week, I got hives all over my body. And I said, what are you putting in my laundry? All of a sudden I'm itchy, like from my feet to my neck. And I thought she just using regular soap. It turns out my asthma medicine had expired and I had an allergic reaction. So this idea, I was just like itchy everywhere. So I could, to a point, get where Job is at, but not even close with boils. He's sick with these boils and he takes care of himself. He puts ashes on him and he's scraping himself with pottery just to kind of relieve the itching. And his wife says to him, now our text, in our English text, it says, curse God and die. In the Hebrew, it actually says, bless God and die. So what did she say here? Well, scholars aren't sure. One, one reason why the English translations say, curse God and die, is because they believe there's a tradition that a Jewish person would never write down the word curse God. That would be a bad thing to even write down. So instead you say the exact opposite, knowing that your reader would say, oh, she means curse God, but you're, not, you're never going to write down curse God on paper. That's, that's why our text says curse God. But it actually works if you just take it as is, bless God. Because she could, she could be saying one of two things. Saying, bless God and die. If you keep on serving this God that you're serving, you're just going to die. Keep on blessing God and die. That's one way of taking it in the negative. Or she could be giving him a little bit of encouragement. Even if you die, keep blessing God. Now, with Job's response to her calling her foolish, I think it's taken the first way. If you keep on this path of following this God you're choosing to follow, he's going to kill you, is what she's saying. And why would she say this? Well, even though Job is our main character, she's gone through all the same testing Job has. 
She's lost all her possessions too. She's lost all her children too. The only thing she hasn't gotten is sick yet. And maybe she's thinking, maybe that's going to hit me too. If we stay on this path, husband, we're going to die. But Job realizes that it's not just all the possessions and all the children that are gifts from God. He says, even the life, God, that we have is a gift from God. Whether our life has are in the ups or in the downs, at least we get to live. And so he still doesn't sin. God is still protecting his life. There's a sociologist, David uh, Scarbeck. He studied prisons and prison gangs, especially in California. And he says he's noticed something that has happened. Before 1970, people in prison, how you stayed safe in prison is you followed the prison code. And the prison code had some basic simple things like if you don't don't uh don't tell on somebody else if you have a debt pay it um about five things as you just did this you would get a reputation and you would be safe but starting in about the 1970s uh our prison population in the United States just has skyrocketed and so now it's impossible to know any individual well enough to know what their reputation is, whether or not they follow that code. And so what's happened since then is the rise of prison gangs, especially in the United States. And prison games are, gangs are divided often like racially or ethnically, and, and, and it's, to get in the prison gangs, it's not just while you're in prison, it's a, it becomes a lifetime commitment. And it actually, he found it actually works, the gang system actually works to keep prisoners safe in prison. Because as a community, if one individual messes up, well then the community might pay their debt or give them their punishment so they don't get killed. But the reason why the gangs are there in the first place is not to provide safety, it's it's to gain a profit from the underground economy of the prison. It actually undermines the rehabilitation and the effective administration of the prison. keeps them safe, but it makes them not get better. See, gangs protect people for their own self-interest and profit. That's how humans do it when we're hard up. God protects me for his sake and mine because God loves me, because God values me. That's why when we go to a scripture like Romans eight twenty eight through 30, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he has also glorified. See, God's goal is 
my glorification, not my mortification. So God has to get me there. He'll protect me. Now, the new year is a time when sometimes we assess ourselves. I assess my life, I assess my work, I assess my church. You know, I, I had an opportunity just last week to take a look at myself. It was one I didn't expect. With Christmas in the middle of the week, and I was feeling kind of pressured because we had Sunday service, and then we had Christmas Eve service, and then we got this Sunday coming again. Three services were like pretty much right in a row. And I didn't feel like I could completely just like take the day off on Christmas. I still had a deliverable on Sunday. And so I posted in a Wesleyan pastor's Facebook page because I thought other people might be feeling that pressure too. I want to spend time with my family. I still want to preach the word on Sunday. I can't come to church Sunday morning and say, sorry, I took Christmas off. You know, go home. <laughs> and so I posted on up there not for sympathy, but to know, let other pastors know, hey, you're not the only one feeling the pressure on Christmas Day to work or be with family. And the first person that, that posted after I put that message up there said, man, you need to learn to work ahead. And I was kind of put off by that because I'm the, this person doesn't know me well. I am a person that works ahead. The person who wrote that didn't realize that last year I was the Wesleyan pastor who had finished his Christmas sermon so early I posted them to the Wesleyan pastor's website in the summer so other pastors could use mine. I was done with my Christmas sermons last year in the summer. I work ahead. But I just posted them. I said, you know what? Sometimes life changes. My kids are sick. My wife works nights. I couldn't get my sermons done in the summer this year. But there are several other people that, that just kind of said, yeah, I feel it. I'm in the same boat but here's, here's the thing with that post and why it made me think about myself. Because I'm also the kind of guy who might have quickly, if somebody else had posted that, had said, if I hadn't been in this position this year, man, you need to work ahead. I had my Christmas sermons done in the summer. I need to evaluate how I respond to people. Now, we have an opportunity to assess ourselves as a church coming up in January. Look on the back of your bulletin, there's a Barna logo there. Every year the Barna Research Group does a survey of churches to see what is the state of the church in the United States. They don't do all churches. They picked us to be one of the churches to, to survey of the state of the church in the United States. So next week you'll start to see these surveys coming out. And we'll be more about that later. But and here's the cool thing. It's not just giving us an idea of what the church as a whole is doing in the United States. They, Because they chose us, we will get an individual report for our church to see how we are doing in particular. So it's cool that we get to be a part of this. So here's the thing, though. When I look at my life, when I look at my church and my work and all this different kinds of stuff, I certainly should be honest with myself about my achievements, my good, and my failures. 
But I also need to remember, what's God's assessment of me? What's God's assessment of me? Remember, Job, at the start, one of the things he does is he makes sure he makes sacrifices for himself and for his kids. In some ways, Job sees himself and his family as, boy, we're, we're not doing very good. We're sinners. We better make sure we make our sacrifices to God. But when we get the perspective of God, how does God see him? Job, you're doing really good. There is no one on earth like you. So we need to be honest with ourselves, but remember, God values me. Let's pray. Lord, as you look at your city and your people, Jerusalem, in Psalm 147, it says, you strengthen the bars of your city gates and you bless your children. You give us prosperity and you satisfy us with food. Even when the snow and the frost and hailstones come down that no one can withstand. We still stand firm. Lord, as we've gotten a light into how you see us, let us see you in a way that reflects that. Life has its ups and downs, it's hard times, it's good times, but we can always stand with integrity because you are with us, proud of us, perfecting us, and protecting us. Lord, let us not only finish this year strong, but begin 2020 even stronger by your power. And we ask this in your name. Amen.